Check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's go time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here on a Tuesday here in the capital city, about two weeks away from the best holiday on earth. And I will not remind you that every day. I'm just saying some of you need to go out and get your costumes, get your candy ready for uh, one of the best days ever. And by the way, can I just say in two weeks, there will also be Maction on Halloween. And if there's ever two things that go together better, it's like peanut butter and jelly. It's Maction and Halloween. Like, it's just it's just awesome. Uh, so we'll certainly uh, do some stuff on that as well as we get closer to the holiday. Uh, thanks for joining us, as always. Uh, 327-0888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. A lot to get into on the show today. Uh, coming up at 3.30, we will have Scott Allen from the Washington Post talk a little commanders and uh, get his thoughts on uh, a win to say the least, even though every single number statistically feels like it went in the opposite direction for the Commanders, um, they still got the win. And so, um, you know, they didn't. They, there was no opportunity to gain a game on the Cowboys. I'll get into that game in just a second. But uh, Scott Allen will join us at 3.30 to uh, talk a little Commanders. Maybe we'll throw him a Caps question. Their home sellout streak was over or is going to be over. They've got a game coming up where basically they're not going to have a sellout. So we could ask him about that. He covers a bunch of different things uh, in Washington, D.C. So Scott Allen will join us at 3.30. Yeah, last night, Monday Night Football. And um, I don't even know what to say. Actually, I said this encapsulates it perfect on Twitter. Justin Herbert's just a younger Kirk Cousins. Like, think about it for a second. Just think about it for a second. Like, Justin Herbert, when we did a lot of those quarterback lists, Justin Herbert was up there. And, like, a lot of people like Justin Herbert. But when you look at his statistics, like, he's just another stat compiler. He's just another guy that has taken advantage of a NFL nowadays where if you have a game plan that's geared towards throwing the ball, you're going to put up a lot of numbers. And that's all there is to it. Like, Justin Herbert's a guy who, you know, obviously he has to make the completions. He has to actually get these guys open and things like that. But he's also a guy who just throws the ball a lot because his team's behind. And so, you know, I, I obviously, I was not watching the game last night. I was not. A, I don't like watching Dallas games. B, I don't like watching, uh, obviously, the Phillies game was on last night. So, um I was not watching the game, but I was following along. There were people complaining about the refs for Dallas. I'm I'm not surprised. Here's a here's a statistic for for um, Justin Herbert. So Justin Herbert in his career has thrown 669 passes leading. He's thrown 461 tied. He's thrown 1,018 passes from behind. And his best numbers, no shock. Or when he's behind, although he does have the most interceptions, but he's got 49 touchdowns and 20 interceptions when he's trailing. You know why? Because in that situation, teams are playing back. They're not, you know, doing a lot. And 
he's capitalizing on it, getting good numbers. He's Kirk Cousins. He's just a younger Kirk Cousins. Like, I've come to that realization. And the Chargers, every year, I feel like should be better than they actually are. You know? Like, you, you watch the Chargers, and every year, it's, oh, they, they got Khalil Mack, they got Joey Bosa, they got this guy, that guy, they got J.C. Jackson, that, who I know they let go. They got all these guys, and they're on offense. It's Herbert, and it's Eckler, and it's Allen, and it's Williams, and it's da-da-da-da-da. And then they're 2-3. and three. And then they're, they're not in the playoffs. Like, I don't know who is a, a larger failure or who the reason is for this failure, but, like, the Chargers should be better than 2-3 and three most years. The Chargers have more talent than teams that have a better record than them. I mean, look in the classic case, the AFC West. Sorry, Raiders fans. Like, if we put your roster up against the Chargers roster, the Chargers roster wins. But for some reason, they don't win. Some of it could be their coach with his analytics more lunacy. But Dallas gets the win last night. We're all sad. They're 4-2. and two. Um, Do I believe in Dallas? Eh. They're as inconsistent as everybody else in the league. Dak had a really good game last night for Dak. But it's coming off one of the worst games Dak's ever had. So I can't tell you what I believe in Dallas. They've got a bye week. Then they host the Rams. They play in Philadelphia. They host the Giants. They play at Carolina. They host the Commanders. And they host the Seahawks and then the Eagles. Like that's a, There's a lot of easy games there. Because then they finish out at Buffalo, at Miami, home Detroit, uh, at Washington. That's a pretty tough play uh, way to close the season out. So, you know, Dallas is up there, tier two probably. Although tier one both lost their games to uh, to poor quarterbacks uh, on Sunday, but that's just the way the NFL goes. Uh, that's just the way the NFL goes. I'm kind of half reacting. There was literally a tweet minutes ago, and I, I'm like stunned. The Eagles have apparently signed Julio Jones, who I didn't think had anything left. And probably hasn't had anything left for like three or four years. Hence the reason why Julio Jones is always available. But whatever. Okay. So the Eagles signed Julio Jones. Uh, the other thing that happened today. 810 Media Day today up in Brooklyn. That means preseason poll, the preseason conference teams. That means the all-defensive team, all that good stuff. And you see all the interviews with Coach Mooney and Coach Odom and things like that. And of course, obviously, for some of the teams, it's bulletin board material. Ah, oh, they disrespect us. So preseason poll comes out. Four teams receive first place votes, which is insanity already. Dayton, uh, so presumably 25 people voted. 20 of them gave thir- first place votes to Dayton. Three gave first place votes to VCU. One gave a first place vote to St. Bonaventure. And then one... Gave a first place vote to Fordham, who is listed seventh overall in the preseason poll. Uh, if you want to run it down, Dayton's one, VCU's two, St. Bonaventure three, Duquesne four, St. Joe five, St. Louis six, Fordham seven, Loyola Chicago eight, George Washington nine, George Mason ten, Richmond eleven, Davidson twelve, UMass thirteen, Rhode Island fourteen, LaSalle fifteen. Uh, you know what this tells me? You know, obviously, as I've said, I have not done my college basketball research yet. I will start doing it soon as we get closer to the end of this, uh, to the end of the the beginning of the season. Um, this tells me the conference is not very deep. You know, St. Joe hasn't been very good. They're getting better. St. Louis has always kind of been around there. 
I'm not certainly somebody who's going to give Fordham a first-place vote. Loyola Chicago was one of the worst teams in the conference last year. And then, you know, GW's got some talent, but who knows? They play better at home. They don't play very well away from home. George Mason, who knows? Richmond, who knows? Like, to me, this tells me that it's Dayton, VCU, and St. Bonaventure, maybe Duquesne, and then, like, everybody else. You look at the uh, first team all-conference, first complaint, they do six players. Last I checked, five players on a basketball court at the right time, right? We didn't, we didn't change that, right, AJ? It's still, it's still five? Unless you're Philadelphia, then it's four. I mean, then it's I mean, then it's three or whatever. But like, first team all conference: Duran Holmes, Day Day Grant of Duquesne, James Bishop, Daryl Banks, Eric Reynolds, Gibson Jimerson. That's your first team. The one thing that stands out here: Duran Holmes the second, James Bishop the fourth, Daryl Banks the third, Eric Reynolds the second. Second team all-conference, Malachi Smith from Dayton, Jimmy Clark III from Duquesne, Maximus Edwards from George Washington, Khalil Brantley from LaSalle, Philip Alston from Loyola Chicago, Max Shulga from VCU. Uh, third team, Ronald Polite III from George Mason, Matt Cross from UMass, Neil Quinn from Richmond, Chad Venning from St. Bonaventure, Cameron Brown from St. Joe, Sean Bearstow from VCU. The funny thing is they do the all-defensive team, and there's five players listed here. They just, I don't i don't know. Grant Huffman from Davidson, Deron Holmes from Dayton, Jimmy Clark from Duquesne, and then Kyle Rose and Abdul Simbla from Fordham. Okay. I mean, I just, I, 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 I this is why I'm semi-worried about VCU, but I also understand the kind of things that they're going through in terms of with all the new characters that are on the roster and all the new players and kind of getting used to it. You don't want to jump right in and, and throw yourself into the fire, but VCU has somewhat put themselves at the mercy of the conference by scheduling the way they did. VCU basically has to, A, not trip up in the non-conference, and B, do really well in the A-10 and hope that the wins they get in the A-10 help out. Because for those who have not, who don't remember, VCU's non-conference schedule is McNeese State, Sanford, Radford, Seattle, first four, all at home. Then it's Iowa State in Orlando, either Boise State or Virginia Tech, and then possibly Florida Atlantic, Penn State, Texas A&M, and Butler. That's in the ESPN Invitational. I mean, obviously, once again, I don't know how good Iowa State's going to be. I don't know if they're going to win that game and get Boise State or if they're going to lose that game for Virginia Tech. Who knows? Then they come home and they host Norfolk State. They play Memphis. That's a great game. Alcorn State, Temple, Maryland Eastern Shore, Gardner-Webb. That is a lot of wins, potentially, and a lot of places that if they do lose a game, it's going to be a very poor thing um, for their schedule. And for their net. So we'll see. VCU's first true road game is January 9th in Fairfax against George Mason. And then their first true road game outside the state is that Saturday when they play at LaSalle. And that's high school prom time for the uh, LaSalle Explorers. Um, So look, I could be wrong. You know, I could do some research and then all of a sudden that, you know, this conference is deeper than I think. But I think there's a lot of we went to we went to this last year with the A10 where we had these high hopes for the Daytons and for the Saint but well not Saint Bonaventure uh, for Saint Louis uh, we had high hopes for George Mason last year for Davidson 
and we didn't get what we needed to, and then if VCU doesn't win the conference, we're sitting there sweating on Selection Sunday. They probably still get in, but they, they, they're sweating instead of being comfortably in. Uh, and then on the Richmond side, look, a lot of the same things apply to Richmond, too. I don't think, realistically, we can sit here and say the goal is the NCAA tournament. I would say the goal for Richmond this year is the NIT. Um, you know, there is some continuity on the roster. There are some new kids there, too. Um, they also don't exactly have a tough non-conference schedule. It's, it's tougher than VCU's. They play at BC. They play at Wichita State. They play at Northern Iowa. They play Florida. Um, they get Colorado and either Florida State or UNLV in Daytona Beach. So I think that automatically kind of makes their schedule tougher. But there's, it's, it's, they're in the same spot where basically they sit there and they say, all right, we got to get some wins. We cannot lose to uh, you know what they've done in the past. They can't lose to Longwood. They can't lose to you know of somebody of that area. Sorry, I'm talking about Longwood with regards to the net. And Longwood's net's never very good. You know the VMI game, the opener against VMI, like that. They can't lose that game. They can't lose to Siena. These teams that are not good, you got to take care of business. You can't afford to lose these games. So, I just think the conference. I think the conference is is a little top heavy. Um. You know, VCU is funny because there's so many new players there. And I think this thing's going to work out. I think on paper it looks like a team that could work out. Of course, there's things that may prevent it from working out. Who knows? Putting them second, I think, is a bit of a risk when you've got St. Bonaventure, who pretty much returns everybody, and Duquesne, who returns a lot of their talent. St. Joe returns a lot of talent, although they still have to learn how to win. So we'll see. Putting them second maybe pretty good, maybe way off. We'll we'll reevaluate this in March. But uh, you can go check it out on the A10's website or your respective school's website, Atlantic10.com, the poll and all that good stuff, all the interviews that were done up in Brooklyn. Uh 3270888, that is the phone number, that is the text line for the show if you want to get involved. Uh, let's take a timeout. Coming up, we'll uh, touch on a little baseball, touch on a little college football. It's a game day once again here in the state of Virginia. Liberty's in action tonight. We'll tell you about that and some other stuff as well as we're here on a Tuesday, taking you up to 4 o'clock. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. This weekend, the Spiders travel to Greensboro to take on the Aggies of North Carolina A&T. Catch all the action here beginning Saturday afternoon at 1230 here on your exclusive home for the Richmond Spiders. 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. We'll talk a little Commanders football coming up at uh, 3.30. Scott Allen of the Washington Post will join us, and uh, we'll talk about that win uh, last Sunday and start looking ahead to the Giants uh, coming up on this coming Sunday. Um, One of the reasons why I'll never understand the NBA, never understand it, um, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted about two hours ago, ESPN sources, the Houston Rockets are trading for Kevin Porter Jr., who, by the way, was, I think he was arrested for something not very good and, like, may be suspended for a while. Uh, The Houston Rockets are trading Kevin Porter Jr. and two future second-round picks to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are waving Porter Jr. immediately. The Thunder are sending the Rockets Victor Oladipo and Jeremiah Robinson Earl in the transaction. So we have a trade where a guy goes to another team and gets waived immediately. And it's kind of like, I feel like many years ago, Keith Van Horn was traded 
from the Sixers or to the Sixers. That and, one's the most infamous one. And he got he was retired, right? Yeah, yeah. That one's the craziest one you could pull up. I mean, I, I just I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand Salary how teams cap. do. That. Oh yeah, I get that, but like. It's just, you know, there's, I'll never understand the NBA salary cap either. There, it, like, if you're going to have a salary cap, it's got to be a hard cap. Like, if it's, it's a, you, you are allowed to spend 120 million or whatever the number is. But in the NBA, you can go over. It's incentive based. And, and dude, I pay attention to everything and I still don't get it. But there's incentive base, which makes different teams fluctuate. Yeah. I just don't understand it. And I've seen it once in the NHL. Um, the Flyers traded like Curtis, uh, Chris Pronger, who was retired. I've seen it like once or twice in the NHL. But like, if your sport requires you to trade retired players or players you're not even going to use, like what? What? I I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what to say because it's just ridiculous. But I thought that was interesting. First off, I I wasn't sure how this guy would get traded, and secondly, um, yeah, they waived him. By the way, I'm just seeing now Pat McAfee apparently had the woman on the show on his show today who was the Twitter sensation Chargers fan on the broadcast last night. She's going to be a meme, a meme forever. I was as I said I wasn't watching the game live, but she's apparently on the Pat McAfee show. Um cuz she was surprised. she was cuz she's the lone Chargers fan in America or in LA at least. I mean, I don't know what. Did you watch the game last night? A little bit. Of Were it. there more Cowboys fans there than Chargers fans? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I lived in LA, dude. It's never. No one will ever be a Chargers fan in that city, except for I guess this, as she's called, the Asian woman. That's interesting. Um, somebody said her name is Marianne on Twitter. Marianne Doe. That's what uh, Pat McAfee's tweet says. That's what her name is. So, uh, that's a good get. You can get Aaron Rodgers. Now, I hope they're paying her a million dollars like they pay in uh, Aaron Rodgers to be a guest on the show. Uh, I saw that was making the rounds. By the way, that's not that's common in our industry, although like when we want to get somebody, we're not going to be able to give them a million dollars, but like that is common. I think it was funny that everybody's like, oh, he pays Aaron Rodgers a million dollars? Yeah, um, that's how you get guests on your show is you sponsor their segment and then the sponsor pays the guest. Also, don't you feel like his whole career blew up after the Aaron Rodgers interview? Uh, yeah. I well, mean, 100%. money well spent, right? 100%. 100%. I mean, I only paid attention during the Aaron Rodgers time. I only, I never, wa- I've never, but it, as I've said, and for those who aren't familiar, like Pat McAfee's not for me. He's not for me. I admire what he does. I have mad respect for what he does. I'm not going out of my way to watch the Pat McAfee show. I have mad respect for what he does. I, this is how you like handle this thing. Because he's another one who has a lot of diehard followers. So if you like don't like him and you say it on Twitter, then his people come after him. I have mad respect for what he does. I'm just not running to watch him. I, I think he's a mediocre addition for college game day. I think he's a little too hype. Um... But I also admire what I admire what he does. I just don't. I didn't think they needed him. College Game Day on its own is an institution. They didn't need to add him. He is on there the same way that we've got Taylor Swift on our NFL channel. I mean, there you go. And I admire what uh, Taylor Swift does. I just don't go running to see what she does. So yeah. Uh, college football tonight. Liberty is hosting Middle Tennessee. That game is at 7 o'clock. 14.5 point favorite. Liberty is. Um, I mean, let's be honest. The Conference USA is terrible. 
We told you before the season that Liberty had one of the easiest schedules ever, ever created. And so far, it's played out that way. The one thing I'll tell you is literally probably the only game that's going to matter on their schedule is next week. Next week, the 24th, they play at Western Kentucky. This could be the Conference USA Championship game. So maybe they're not as focused tonight. I don't know. They've got four of their final six at home. Here's their murderer's row. Middle Tennessee at Western Kentucky, Louisiana Tech, ODU, UMass at UTEP. It's their last six games. So, hey, listen, you still got to win the games in front of you. I don't think if they go undefeated, I don't think they have a chance of being the G5 representative in the New Year's game. That would be fascinating if it did, but I don't think they would because I don't think anybody has any respect for Conference USA and they beat nobody out of conference. So I I think if you go undefeated, you're still going to get whatever the best bowl tie-in is for Conference USA. Uh, And they're on the CBS Sports Network tonight, which, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, also tonight, Western Kentucky's at Jacksonville State, and then Sunbelt tonight, South Alabama and Southern Miss. So there's three college football games tonight. There's a baseball game tonight. There is NHL hockey tonight. There is NBA preseason tonight. Um, so there's a lot going on in the sports world for a Tuesday night. All right, let's take a timeout. Coming up, it's a win for the Commanders, although at times it didn't feel like a win. It felt like a game that you were holding on for dear life. How should we process what the Commanders did last week? What are the positives? What are the negatives of this team going forward? We'll talk about it all with our next guest, Scott Allen of the Washington Post. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. Week is tough. Make your day a little brighter with full-length podcast of all our shows and interviews. Available at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here. The scoreboard says the commanders won. Uh, the statistics may not have necessarily been the greatest, but that's all that matters is they had more points than the opposition. Uh, and they now sit uh, still in third place in the division as they get set for the Giants this weekend. Uh, joining us now, you can check out his work and the Washington Post, Scott Allen. Scott, how's it going? Doing well, Matt. How are you? Thanks for having me. No problem, Scott. Do I? Do you think I encapsulated that right? I mean, it was a game. They won it. But yeah. it, at times, it felt like you were just holding on for dear life. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Coach Rivera put it best in saying it was an ugly road win. Um, and those are obviously hard to come by. You can ask the, the 49ers and the, the Eagles, especially against a team with a good defense like the Falcons. But, yeah, it felt like after they went on 24 to 10, the, the end of the game couldn't come soon enough because the offense couldn't do anything and, and the defense kept bending and bending and bending, but, but ultimately didn't break. What do we make of this ground game? Obviously, with Eric Bieniemy there, they want to throw the ball more. Uh, they want to truly yeah. see what Sam Howell uh, can do, but the ground game is what has been helping them in the past. It struggled once again on Sunday. Yeah, it's disappeared the last few weeks. I think Sunday was a tough matchup. I'm really interested to see what they're able to do against a a Giants team on on Sunday that's been absolutely gashed on the ground. Um, Yeah, nothing really was working offensively on Sunday outside of a few big plays. They they benefited from uh, some short fields, and Brian Robinson made a a bigger impact in the passing game than he did running the ball. Um, But that seems to be their... Their new identity under uh, the enemy, and, and we'll see if he's if he changes up the game plan against the the Giants this week. What do you think? Do you think it was just situational that Chris Rodriguez got more carries than than uh, than Gibson did? I think so. Um, that's it's a good point. I mean, he 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 got that first carry and and took it for a bit. He, I mean, 
what he wind up with three carries for something like twenty yards. He he had some nice runs. He was the the biggest spark on that offense outside of the uh, Brian Robinson catch and run in the second half. So I, I, I didn't read too much into that. Um, I think Gibson will still be involved going forward. They've they've shown trust in him despite the the fumbling issues, and yeah, I guess it's something to watch going forward. I know every week is a referendum on Sam Howe, so how do you grade <laughs> Sam uh, for this one? I'd, I'd say a, a solid B. I mean, five stacks against a team that had five sacks through its first five games is not great. I think a lot of those sacks were, were on him, holding the ball too long, and two on one drive at the end of the first half. Um, they came in some tough spots, but something he's going to have to continue to work on, um, I think the biggest key for him, despite taking those five sacks, despite not sustaining drives, um, he didn't turn the ball over again. He's done that three times, three games with no turnovers this year. That's huge. Um, that was part of the big difference. You look at the other second-year quarterback in Sunday's game, and, and Desmond Ritter throws three picks. Um, so a, a pretty solid performance from Hal, even though the, the numbers weren't all that impressive. It feels like also somebody reminded him about his number one wide receiver because 11 <laughs> targets and six receptions. I mean, it feels like at times yeah. they almost forget that Terry's on the team. Yeah, and completely agree. And I felt that way after the Bears game when he had, I think, four catches for 45 yards. He, he had surpassed that in the first half against the Falcons. It, it was kind of weird to see. I mean, McLaurin wound up with 11 targets, which was more than the rest of his teammates combined. Um, I think it's great that they're they're trying to feed him, but um, so much has been made about this dynamic receiving core. And I, I know Curtis Samuel had a, a touchdown for a third straight game, but it's the disappearance of Jahan Dotson this year has been has been strange to see. Um, he, he had a, a big drop against the Falcons. His only target should have been a touchdown. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm all for involving Terry McLaurin, and, and Sam Howe didn't throw the ball that, that many times anyway. Uh, but I'd like to see Dotson get a little bit more involved going forward. And then what do we do more for the defense? Obviously, the defense gave up a ton of yards, and yeah. but they still made the interceptions. They still made the plays when they had to. Do we look at this on the positive side, or are we concerned that this defense still can't seem to get it together? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of both because they were so opportunistic in, in getting those three picks, and, and Ritter really helped them out. <laughs> Some of, a couple of those were, were pretty ugly, especially the one in the end zone to, to St. Jude's. I think the biggest thing I'm concerned about with the defense is that, that the, the defensive line hasn't been as disruptive as it was in the past in terms of you know forcing some of those turnovers, getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, so it, 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 they've, they've kind of made their hay in bending but not breaking this year. The, the three takeaways was, was their most this season. Um, but I'd like to see more out of that defensive line in terms of getting pressure on, on the QB. Why do you think they didn't make a change during the bye week? Well, I mean, it felt like a bye week during the 10 days off after the Bears game. I mean, obviously, that was a disgusting performance on a Thursday night, and you could have let yeah. somebody go and gotten everybody up to speed over that 10 days. Why do you think they kept everybody? In terms of coaching personnel? Yeah, yeah the coaching staff. Yeah, I think, I mean, Josh Harris, I don't know that he was asked about it again after the Bears game, but he's kind of said that, you know, in this first year, he's going to, you know, take the time to assess how people are doing. And I guess I don't see a change either at the head coaching position or one of the, or 
more likely the uh, defensive coordinator being switched in season. I mean, maybe if they have another dud <laughs> this weekend against a, a one in five Giants team like they did against the Bears, it could happen. Um, but yeah, I think they wanted to see if Ron Rivera, like he's done throughout his time here, could could get his team to bounce back, and he did. I think at some point, though, it's been four years. You don't want him to put himself in that position to be able to bounce back. You know, you don't have that done at the performance that requires a bounce back performance. And you know, it, we'll see. They can't afford too many of those if they want to get to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I just feel like if there was anybody, obviously the Ron, you know, moving Ron Rivera and and letting him go probably would have been a large move that you probably don't want to make. But I felt like yeah. you know, Jack Del Rio has kind of been living on borrowed time. You know, there was the controversy at one point off the field, and yeah. his defenses have so much talent yet they're not performing like it. I probably, if you were to do anything, would have considered letting Jack go more than anything else. Yeah, no, I think it would have been completely defensible um, with the way that they played against the Bears. I, I don't know the, the thinking into into why they decided to to keep everyone in place. And to some extent, like we've talked about, the defense responded. 400-plus yards is a lot of yards to give up to a, to a mediocre offense, but they, they made the plays. They made the turnovers that they needed to with their first-round defensive draft pick, uh, Bench for the game, so I guess that's some bit of progress. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting decision. I agree. What do we make of um, of Emmanuel Forbes not playing at all uh, this past Sunday? Yeah, it's. I think that's very concerning in terms of this this front office's ability to uh, identify talent. I mean, coming into this year's draft, their, their track track record wasn't all that great, but. You look around the league at, at first-round draft picks contributing right away, and in Forbes's case, they they decided he needed, a, I think he and Ron Rivera termed it as a, as a reset. Um, he had struggled mightily the last two games. Obviously, D.J. Moore completely lit him up on Thursday Night Football. The week before that, A.J. Brown turned him around for a, a few touchdowns. Uh, is, he, is it too early to label him a bust? Yeah, I think so. Um, he could turn out to be a, a, a great player, um, but he's he's obviously got a lot of lot to work on right now. Um, Danny Johnson came in Sunday against the Falcons and played really well, and I guess I would expect Danny Johnson again to to play for Forbes going forward. Rivera wouldn't comment or wouldn't commit uh, either way to whether Forbes would be on the field Is against there- the Giants. And- yeah. Is there any concern that maybe they may lose him going down the line in terms of mentally if he's continuing the practice, not doing well enough, and not playing in games? Sure, potentially. I think he's gotten a lot of support from his teammates, uh, Mississippi fellow Mississippi State alum Darius Slay, reaching out on, on social media saying, "Hey, you know, I was benched uh, for a couple games my rookie year." He said all the right things so far, um, and when he's spoken to reporters about how he understands he needs a reset, he's going to keep working. Um, but, yeah, sure, that's that's definitely a risk if if he remains benched as a first-round pick for, for much longer. Um, it's, it's a possibility. Talking with Scott Allen of the Washington Post. Uh, so, all right, so this weekend, obviously, they've got a game they should be able to win. They're playing at the Giants, um, the Giants yep. coming off of a tough, tough loss to the Bills. What are you looking for in this matchup in terms of uh, you know keys to victory for, for the Commanders? Yeah, kind of like we talked or alluded to earlier. I think getting the running game going and having a more balanced attack. The 
the Giants, they played well in that Bills game. They they limited a, a high-powered Bills offense to, to 14 points, but you know teams have been able to run the ball against them, and I'd love to see Brian Robinson Jr. get going again. I think a big question will be who starts at quarterback for the Giants. I mean, we know Daniel Jones has kind of gotten the best of, of Washington in recent years. It could be Tyrod Taylor out there. Um, no matter who it is, he, I think um, – for the commanders, the big key is going to be limiting the the running ability of, of whoever starts at quarterback. What do you make of this schedule coming up? There's a ton of road games. They play the game at the Giants, and then they yeah. host the Eagles, which probably will have a lot of Eagles fans. And then it's road game at the Patriots, road game at Seattle, home, and then road at Dallas. I mean, there's five of their next seven are on the road. Yeah, which was why it was so important for them to get off to we talked before the season about how important it was to get off to a hot start. Now, three and three isn't a hot start, but it's it's the best start through six games that Ron Rivera has had in four years here. Um, but yeah, no, this is a this is a key stretch, and you know, the Patriots. That's that suddenly looks like a a very winnable game. Obviously, a tough tough road game anytime you go on the road and. And then going to Seattle, you know, Washington has sprung some surprise wins in Seattle in recent years, but that's a very tough place to play. So it's it's a it's a real tough stretch before they get home for that that second game against the Giants in mid November. Uh, one caps question before we let you go: You wrote about how their home sellout streak is uh, is coming to an end. Um, why yeah. do you think that it came to an end? And why do you, what do you think is in terms of obviously it's early in the season, but why do you think it came to an end? Well, I think a combination of factors. I think prices were going up a little little by little each year. And then the the team, I mean, when they sold off five of their veterans on or traded away five of their veterans um, on expiring contracts at the deadline last year, they were falling out of the playoff race. They ultimately didn't make the playoffs for the first time in nine years. I think the writing was kind of on the wall. Um, in the late stages of last season, there were there were a lot of empty seats. In Capital One Arena, the, the sellout streak remained intact, the team said, because ticket distribution to community groups and such. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the rising ticket prices and the, just the competitiveness of the team, um, even before this, the playoff streak ended, not making it out of the first round for several years, I think that just kind of caught up to them. I think as, as Obi gets a little bit closer to Gretzky, <laughs> that place will be full every single night. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Scott S. Allen and check out his work on the Washington Post. Scott, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. Anytime. All right, uh, that is Scott Allen of the uh, of the Washington Post. And as we said yesterday, looking to see if there's any line movement. Commander is about a two-point favorite. Total has gone down to 39.5. So it's going to be another low-scoring, ugly game. I'm looking to see if there's any weather. Uh, looks like it's just supposed to be cold with some wind gusts up to about 16 miles per hour. I mean, listen. If the, see the here's the thing. Like, if they lose this game, there's no difference between them losing this game and losing the Bears game. I would have let him go. I would have let Ron Rivera go ten days ago, or I would have let Jack Del Rio go ten days ago. So, like, losing to the Giants, why would that change things? Why would that? I just that's just why. I, and and I I ultimately think nothing's going to change. I ultimately think they're just going to go with this coaching staff, and then essentially towards the end of the year, like Ron Rivera will be a lame duck because he'll know he'll be gone. The team will know he'll be gone, and potentially it could get much worse. But 
I would have made the move in season because I think this is a team that has potential. They just, they don't agree or they don't care. Like they're fine with, you know, a nine and eight season backing their way into the playoffs and maybe losing that first round. I would have, you know, larger hopes than that. But if the ownership doesn't care, why should the fans care? Um, They're 21st in the newest ESPN power rankings. John Kime said the lesson learned is that the secondary is holding them back. And um, Washington ranks only ahead of five teams in yards per pass attempt allowed, and the commanders have allowed the most plays of 25 yards or more. This from a group that limited such gains in the second half of last season. 11 in the final eight games, they've already allowed uh, 16 of them this season. So, commanders and giants. Fun times coming up on Sunday. Uh, Thanks to Scott Allen for joining us. All right, final segment. I'm gonna have we're gonna have a little fun here. So Bill Connolly, he's one of the nerd guys for ESPN. He's he's got this SP plus for college football. Well, he actually ranks one to 165, 665. He actually ranks FBS, FCS, Division two, and Division three football. So his list goes from one to 665. Where are all the state schools, or at least the ones we care about? We're not going to do all of them. But where are the ones that we care about? Are there any shocks? We'll tell you where the nerd numbers say the best team in the state is and how close the race is between some of them behind them. We'll tell you the numbers next in our final segment, 1061 ESPN. Four of the past five, Richmond football is back on the road this Saturday at North Carolina A&T. Coverage begins at 1230. Kickoff at 1 on 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. Final segment coming up on the show tomorrow. We will have a insert name here, Richmond Spider, on the show to talk about they are, um, talk about how well they're playing as of late. Uh, got a text here. Washington will forever be 500 or sub 500 team. Ron Rivera is what he is, 8 and 9 at best this year. They excel in mediocrity. See, but that's the problem that they've kind of installed this whole thing here. They've installed. This whole thing where basically mediocrity is okay. Eight and nine's okay. And that's the thing that I don't think, I hope, well, no, I, let me phrase that. I quote unquote hope as a radio host, not as a fan of arrival of the commanders. I hope that, that, that Josh Harris realizes that like eight, nine, nine, and eight are not a great place to be constantly year after year. I think he's coasting a little bit right now based off of the fact that he's the new owner and Daniel Snyder's gone. And I think there's still this optimism and you could see the excitement from people like, hey, it's a sellout next week at home against the Eagles. And like most people realize it's going to be a lot of Eagles fans there. It'll be 50-50 probably, maybe 60-40. But like Josh Harris has to realize eventually that like this this wave of up is going to eventually become like a roller coaster and just come crashing down. Because they're not changing the name of the Redskins. That would have brought a lot of people back. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do some of the things that are that would bring some people back. So the only way they could bring people back is by winning football games. And that's why I. And maybe I wouldn't be a good owner. Maybe I wouldn't be a good person with that makes decisions. That's why I, after the Bears game, would have basically called. Jack and Ron in my office on Friday morning and I would have fired Jack in front of Ron and told him this is not acceptable. This is not what we do on a Thursday night. We're trying to portray to everybody that we're something different from the Daniel Snyder era and guess what? We're not. And that was not 
because I listened to the stations up in D.C. the next morning and everybody the same refrain. Oh, we haven't changed. Same old national embarrassment. That's all we are. If you're trying to change the narrative, you fire somebody midseason. But what you've basically done now is you've basically said, eh, we're good. Because I wouldn't. If they lose to the Giants, I wouldn't. It, 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 I mean, it's not too late because there's still plenty of games left. But as we've kind of run down with regards to the schedule, like you, you know, the Eagles at home, that was a tight game in Philadelphia. Maybe you win that game. Maybe you win in New England. Uh, Seattle on the road is tough. Then the Giants again. Then Dallas on the road. Then Miami at home. Then the bye week and at the Rams, at the Jets, the 49ers and the Cowboys. Chance you finish out the season 0-4. You can't lose this game. You can't. But I'm just saying, what I'm saying is, like, they, they really can't fire anybody after this game. Like, you had your chance. You had your 10 days. You had your opportunity. Can't they, they, they just do whatever they want? I mean, of course they can. But if you're going to lose to the Giants and do it after that, like, what's the difference between that and losing after the Bears game? Like, what's the difference? I don't think they're going to lose. I don't. I, I, don't, I do not think the Commanders are going to lose this game. But I also feel like I said that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, probably Thursday of the Bears week. And then they went and gave up 40 points to the Bears, who are one of the worst. Off- I mean, think about this. They Desmond Ritter threw for over 300 yards against this team. Desmond Ritter, who's terrible. How did this defense not tackle Justin Fields when even I have like three tackles on him this year? I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's just, it's sad. This whole thing is just sad for the for the for the uh commanders. And you know, look, obviously I I appreciate I think the things that well-run teams appreciate more than anything else is you appreciate guys who make decisions properly. The Eagles were bad against the Jets. What they do? They went out and got Julio Jones. Now I think Julio Jones has nothing left. But it's a GM that's trying things. That's going to try and not stand pat. He's going to make a trade by the trade deadline. He's going to do all these things. He's going to trade draft picks, whatever, because he sees the future. You know, you look at some of the other well-run teams in the league. They're going to be up top for a while. The commanders are not well-run. They're going to be fighting that every single season until they put a proper, you know, front office in, in, in place. Julio, his size slot? Not a bad call. Yeah. Julio's Julio's awful. He's shown Fifth nothing. Ah, uh, but I, I don't know. Is he okay with being the fifth wide receiver? Is he okay with being the third or fourth wide receiver in Philadelphia? We already had AJ Brown complain. Julio Jones can't complain. You are what you are. Uh, so I actually saved the list because I want to do it with Bob. I'm assuming I'm on with Bob in the first hour. Uh, I think Bob would enjoy it as much as I would. Um, so hopefully we get to do it. Um, Bill Connolly of uh, ESPN ranked 1 to 665, the D1, the FBS, FCS, D2, and D3 teams. So I wrote down the major state schools and where they're ranked. There's some very interesting numbers here. So we'll go over it with Bob uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Thanks to AJ for all his hard work. Thanks to Scott Allen from the Washington Post. Tomorrow we talk Spiders football here on our airwaves. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. Oh, I'm so out.